Well, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I, it's, it's always such a delight to be able to share the Word of God around the table. And I'm reminded of the fact that the Word of God is the bread of life. That's how the Bible describes it. So as we open up the Word of God this morning, I want to remind you that the stuff that we hear today can actually change your life if you will allow it to. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua and chapter 14. Joshua and chapter 14. We're going to get into the Word, and if you are new to Life City Church or you just started joining us, I've been preaching on a series from the book of Joshua, working our way through. Uh, last time I spoke was on Joshua chapter 10, and I've skipped a little bit. I'm just buying you some time while you turn there. Joshua 14. I skipped a little bit because... Joshua goes into another similar battle as the one that I preached on recently, where they were outnumbered by their forces, but God stepped in. And then after that, the Bible tells us that God begins speaking to Joshua and saying to Joshua, you're old. How many people want to hear those words when God tells you that? You're old. When other people tell you that, say, no, I'm not. <laughs> I can't believe that I'm as old as I am. I still think I'm a young adult. I am of heart. But when I look in the mirror, and even then, no, not that bad. But I compare myself sometimes to my peers who are of age, and I think to myself, oh my goodness, you know, Marty, we are a year apart. He's a year older than me. But that makes me feel young because I'm still younger. That's the point, right? That's, that's the difference. It's really close, but I still feel like a sprightly 20-something-year-old. My, my daughters and my son-in-law look at me and say, no, you're not, uh, Dad. You really are that old. Yeah, this is what it is. But imagine if God says that to you, you're old. And God is saying that to Joshua, you're old. So you're not going to be able to take the entire territory in your lifetime. So what I want you to do is I want you to begin to divide the land up. Okay, divide the land up based on the size of each of the tribes of the nations of Israel. And it's up to them now to win over the rest of the land. But you've done most of it. You've broken the back of the enemies. And now it's up to them. They can do it. And then so while he's dividing it up, he had not taken into account one of the great leaders of Israel. It had been a while since they'd spoken. And we're going to catch up with that story here this morning. I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 14. We're just going to read a small passage, verses 6 to 12. Now, uh, while you're turning there, in our church, we love teaching the Word of God. I preach the Word of God, but I also love to teach the Word of God. So as you begin to pick up some things and you think, that was a word for me, get ready to write it down. Because what happens is, you think to yourself, hmm... That was good. I'll remember that for later. But how many people know that that just doesn't happen? We don't remember. And so if you commit it to memory by putting it down on notes, it will help you because these words will change your life. Are you ready? Joshua chapter 14. We're going to read from verses 6 to 12. Follow with me in your translation. I've got the New King James Version. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and brought back word to him 
as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land where your feet, your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am, this day, 85 years old, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. I want you to have a bit of perspective here. This is a man who 40 years earlier had been sent out as a secret agent. That's what a spy is, a secret agent. There are 12 of them, one each as a, as a head of the tribes of Israel. He was a leader even then at the age of 40, a fighting man. But he was sent in secret with 11 other men to go and spy out the promised land. God says, I'm going to give you this land. It's yours as an inheritance. Go and check it out. And so they wanted to figure out, okay, what kind of food is there? What kind of enemies are there? What are the threats that we have? Can we take the land down? And so they went into that land and they brought a report. Ten of them did not bring a good report. They said, surely there are giants in the land. Now, some would say the giants were 12 feet tall. We look at Goliath, who was an inferior giant. He was only, only 9 foot 9 inches tall. Some say 11 foot 1 inch tall. That's very tall. But they say that among them were 12 foot and higher. And so imagine having tribes, whole nations of people who are all giants. So they weren't kidding when they said, we cannot take this territory down. They are too big for us. And 40 years later, in this case, 45, Caleb is saying, you made me a promise 40 years ago. Moses made the promise, and you need to make it to me now that this land that I stood on is going to be mine. Think about 40 years for a moment. 40 years ago was 1982. How many people are still around in 1982? You're going to feel what I'm feeling. Okay, we're there. Isaac's putting his hand up. Put your hand down, young man. Nice try. The movies that were out in the 1982 was E.T. E.T., go home. Chariots of... It was not then. It was too early. Chariots of Fire. Blade Runner. How about some, how about some TV shows? Dukes of Hazard. Knight Rider. 
a car that could speak back to you. Now it does it all the time. Telling it to shut up is the thing. You ever try speaking in your home the next thing Alexa's talking? How rude. Or, or Siri or Google, like, how rude. I never asked for your input in this. How about this one? Oh, you're going to like this. Cheers. So I'm, okay, music. Michael Jackson's Thriller album was released in 1982. It was number one. How about this? Top songs, physical, Olivia Newton-John. I, the Tiger by Survivor. I love rock and roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Fuel was 60 cents. Mmm. <laughs> bread was 30 cents. That's the good stuff, not the cheapo one. 30 cents for a loaf of bread. One liter of milk was 35 cents. The average salary, though, you think to yourself, oh, wow, so cheap. But the average salary was $10,000 a year. Y'all remember this? It was 10 grand a year in Australia, in Brisbane. I'm talking Brisbane. Okay, and, but today, the average annual salary is 75000 Some of you think, I'm jip, man. I'm under the line here. According, according to the statistics, $75,000 is the average annual salary in Australia. It was ten. That is a 7.5 increase, 750% more than what they used to get paid back then. How about this? The average house price in Brisbane was $75,000 to buy a house. Now, by the way, at the turn of the, uh, before that, in the decade before, in the 70s, I remember my aunties bought a unit and they had to scrimp and save $14,000 for a two-bedroom unit in Fortitude Valley. Today, that would be closer to 850000 for the same thing. 14000 in the 70s would have cost more in the 80s, even more now. But how about this? The price of housing today, the average price in Brisbane, is now $850,000. 11.3 times higher than it was back then. So the housing prices have increased 11%, but your salaries have only increased 7.5%. Where is the justice in that? For those of you that are with me, you were born in those days, you were living in those days. We used typewriters, ladies and gentlemen. When we were in uni, you were lucky to have a typewriter. So sometimes they were insistent on it. Other times I wrote my assignments by hand. I used whiteout. I mean, little whiteout. None of that tape kind of stuff. I'm dotting this stuff. We had rotary corded phones with long lines so that we can have a private conversation, you know, and everyone heard it because you can't get too far from the phone. You're stuck to it. We had cassette tapes. How many people remember getting the pencil out and <laughs> nothing pulled out? We had rented movies from Blockbuster and Video Easy. That's how we did it back in the day. No Netflix, none of that stuff. But today we have computers. And they're so small, they're like tablets now. But, oh my goodness, you've got internet, we've got email, we've got mobile telephones. Back in the day when mobile telephones first came out, I think it was back in the early 90s, and people would come around and they would pick up the phone, uh-huh, yes, yep, yep, and then the phone rang. Because it was so expensive to have people were showing off of the mobile phones. And they were this big. And the unit was that big. We didn't have social media back then. Do you understand that 40 years is a long time? 40 years is a long time for change. And a lot had changed in 40 years in the time of Caleb and Joshua. The only two living survivors. Their fathers and mothers had died in the desert. 
Their brothers and sisters and even some of the children died in the desert. And all that remained of that generation was Joshua and Caleb. They were the only ones speaking into the next generation. And Caleb is saying, because I wholeheartedly followed the Lord, I deserve this. Because I wholeheartedly followed the Lord, I'm still in alignment with Him, and the will of God is still upon me. And as we study the life of Caleb, you see a man here who's saying, I will not give up. If you're wondering about the title of the sermon, I've got two titles. Here's the first one. Let me at him. Imagine an 85-year-old man saying, let me at him. Or he said it this way in the passage. This is the other title. Give me this mountain. You write down the title you want. But I want you to think about Caleb like this. And I want to give you, let me see, I've got five keys to taking your mountain. Five keys to taking your mountain. Here's key number one. Hold on to your promise. He wrote, it says in verse 9 that Caleb says this. He's, he's repeating what Moses said. He said, surely the land where your feet has trodden on shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. He's hung on to this word and he's refusing to give up on the word. How many people have got promises God gave you, but it still hasn't come to pass? Everything's come to pass for you. God bless you. How many people are praying for a spouse who's yet unsaved that they'll come to a saving knowledge of God? How many people are crying out for the family who do not yet know the Lord and you're praying them into salvation and you know the Lord's got this, but it still hasn't come to pass? No one? Every, thank you. I, I need to know you're real. Listen, when you're Live City Church, you've got to help me preach. Okay, I preach better when you help me out. I need to know that you're listening and we're engaging in the same word here. Because we're contending for things that are real to each of us. We're praying for family members to get saved. These are, there are parents in this church who are crying on behalf of their children because they're not following the Lord. They tried to raise them and they're still not going the way of the Lord. There are spouses that are not yet saved and we are praying for them to come to this incredible revelation of who Jesus is. There are promises that God has for you. That's that moment that you were agreeing saying, yes, we want this. The reason we clap, we're saying, I claim that in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to claim that on behalf of my church. They're not there to encourage me. He's saying, that is the word of God. I remember when the Lord gave me a promise. Some of you know the story. Some of you knew. And you don't know my story. But I, I had undergone two surgeries up to this point in time. It was 2005. And I had a pituitary tumor in my head. It's still there, but it was growing so aggressively that every two or three years I needed surgery. The first time I almost went blind, I didn't know that. It was September 2001, and I had a surgery. And then it was, sorry, September 2002. And then it was in this time, July 2005, when I had the second surgery. And man, I felt sick as a dog. And, uh, and, and they tried to explain to me, Mr. Pardidi, you need to understand, you've just undergone major surgery. It's actually brain surgery. It takes time to recover. You've got to give time for your body to heal. I'm just so weak. It was just awful. I'm just slumped over. It took me months to get back. 
In November 2005, I'm back at work. Our church had gone into a period of prayer. It was 24-7 prayer for two years. We actually had to install um, numerical, you know, those kind of locks where you press buttons on there so that the church could come in and out. There were people praying at 2 o'clock in the morning. There were people praying at midnight. There were people praying at 4 a.m. in the morning. And we'd pray for long shifts. I remember I was in there for two hours. And as I'm coming through around there, I'm praying in tongues. I'm praying in English. I'm interceding. I didn't know what I was praying for because I'm prayed out now because I'm praying there every day. And so I've already run out of stuff to pray, so I'm just praying in tongues. And I remember as I got to the front of the, we call it the altar, but it was the front of the stage, the word of the Lord came to me in a flash. He said this, you're healed, you're going to have a son, you call him David. Now you need to understand the context. Come on, this is good stuff. I'm a dad of two girls. The eldest is three years old, Eden. And then I had Tali, who was two years old. They're still babies. And I was content up to that point in time. I thought, we've had our children. We're going to go with two. I worked for an airline just before that. We'd travel around, and I knew the packages were set up for parents with two kids. Okay? Easy to find places to stay. You can stay in hotels easy with two kids. But when you have the third one, it takes you over the line. How many people don't want to talk about all those families? <laughs> it's expensive to take your family. Take them out to eat. Oh, my goodness. Buy clothes. It's expensive. And you take them. Number three changes everything. But up to that point in time, we were happy with two. I was a father of girls. I never thought I'd see myself that way. But I was so proud of being a father of girls. I could not conceive of being a father of boys. And I gave up that dream. Until God spoke and told me, you're healed you're going to have a son. You'll call him David. Well, I, was ha- I happened to be preaching that week. I told my wife she was happy. Tanya said, that sounds right with me. And so I, I had the permission on Sunday I was preaching, and I told the church that story. Three things. It, was, it wasn't a verbal, thus saith the Lord, speaking to me like man. It was a knowledge that was released to me in a millisecond. The entire thing was clear. It was very, very clear. It was, I knew it. God is my witness. And I remember coming to the stage and preaching, and I told them that God says, you're healed, you're going to have a son, you'll call him David. And the church came up afterwards. They mobbed me saying, Pastor Paul, congratulations on the pregnancy. I said, no, my wife's not pregnant yet. But it's coming. And then that next week, people come up, Pastor Paul, when's the baby due? I said, no, no, we're not pregnant yet. But the baby's coming. Every single week, there are people coming up to me week after week. It's a month later. It's a year later, and there's still no baby. My children are praying, three years old and two years old, and it was just so cute. Lord, they would say, Daddy God, send baby David to us. You know, and he wouldn't come and pray the next night. Lord, please send baby David from heaven. Let him come and be a brother. We want to see him. And he didn't come. And week after week, it's taking years now, and they're coming up. And I remember my children now, this is going on uh, three years later. So the three-year-old is six years old, six and five. And they're starting to say to me, Dad, did God really say that? Is God hearing our prayers? And I'm saying, God, if not for my sake, for the sake of your kids, you need to answer this prayer for their faith. You've got to do this. You've got to be faithful. Baby still didn't come. People still coming up, Pastor, congratulations, what's the baby do? No, no, the baby's not yet here. My wife's not pregnant, but it's coming. It's getting old now, but it's coming, but it's coming. Not one single pregnancy, not one. 
It was years later, not even in that church, I became a senior pastor in 2010. And when we found out that there were 10 other couples who could not have babies, they themselves could not conceive, I said, Lord, what is going on? And we felt in the spirit that this was a physical manifestation of a spiritual fact, that the church had not been growing by the time we arrived there, and that that barrenness was not just a barrenness of, of physically, but a barrenness spiritually, and that we were placed in that church to break the drought of barrenness. And so we began to contend in prayer over that church and over ourselves. We ended up bringing all the couples together. And what happened was the breakthrough came the moment we started going back on the mission field. The first couple got pregnant. The second couple got pregnant. We got pregnant. <sighs> Six years later, we got pregnant. Six years and my wife is now 13 weeks pregnant. She's leading worship. She's singing these songs, and you thought, wow, man, she's on fire. And as I come up to preach, Tanya whispers in my ear. She's crying. The tears are starting to come down. I'm bleeding. It's, it's, it's been the only pregnancy. And I, my thoughts are thinking about her while she goes to the doctor. And the doctor says, Mrs. Pardidi, I'm sorry. You're miscarrying. This is a miscarriage. I'm sorry. You're going to lose the baby. And when she told me, I said, no, we are not losing this baby. Lord, you promised us. You promised me. You are healed. You're going to have a son. You'll call him David. By the way, I had another surgery after that. The Lord told me that word. The baby still hadn't come. And now I'm in schedule for another operation. It's now 2011. God, you promised this baby. This is the son you promised us. This is David. We're claiming this because there's been nothing else. This has to be David. She was bleeding that night as well. Ladies, you know that is a miscarriage. We said, no, we will not lose this baby. God, you promised us David. You said you're healed. You're going to have a son. You'll call him David. We're not giving this one up. This is our baby. This is our son, and we will not let this one go. The next morning, Monday morning, the hospital had organized the visit for the scan. And that morning we said, Lord, we are placing this in your hands. You are not a liar. You promised us a son. You finally gave us a pregnancy. This has to be, David. We're standing on your word. We're letting it go. It's all yours now. And we went calmly. We actually went for breakfast. And then we went to get the, uh, the scan. And the doctor says, as we're there, we're just, I know, <laughs> I know we said, you know, oh, God, this is your thing. Oh, God, you got to come through. The doctor said, the baby's fine. You can't imagine the sigh of relief. We thought it would, her womb would be empty. Then the next question is, will there be internal bleeding? Because maybe that's why there's a bleeding. There's no internal bleeding. There's no explanation for why she was bleeding. And then she told us some news we didn't expect. And there's your right ovary and there's your left ovary. She circles it on the scan and then gives us a printout to take home with us. And we thought, I can't. I don't think we heard this one correctly. I'll tell you why. It was a month later when we received a letter in the mail. We thought we must have heard this one wrong until it showed 
ex-year-old, I won't say how old she is, ex-year-old woman presented with two functioning ovaries. We were whooping and hollering. We high-fived because what you don't know is in May 2009, my wife had a right ovary surgically removed. There should only be one ovary. When God delivers on a promise, He delivers. And He gives over and abundantly a measure pressed down, shaken together, running all over. God does not give you a half promise. The year that David was born, a new endocrinologist had my case. And she says, I think you're testing positive for prolactin. I think it's a prolactinoma. Uh, uh, Breastfeeding mothers produce prolactin. I was producing prolactin. And they said, that's what's causing the thing to grow. So weird. And anyway, she puts me on these tablets, and I'm still on to this day. Half a tablet once a week. It has never grown back. you got to give glory to the Lord. You're healed. You're going to have a son. You'll call him David. You've got to hold on to your promise. If it hasn't, if it hasn't come to pass, keep praying it through. When do you stop praying? Never, until it's answered. You keep praying, you keep praying, and you keep praying. But what the church does, we pray once, it's not answered. And so we decide, I guess it's not the Lord's will. I guess God doesn't want to do it. I guess maybe I heard wrong. Can I tell you, don't lower your theology to match your level of unbelief. Here's the second key I want you to grab hold of to take down your mountains. Number two, promises are tied to faithfulness. Caleb says in verse 8, Nevertheless, my brethren, who went up, made the heart of the people melt. I didn't. I wholly followed the Lord my God. You'll find that in your translation, it probably says, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord. I remember when I was first interested in learning to play the guitar. I know about faithfulness, and I know about getting your promises. Because my dad heard me say, I want to learn how to play guitar. And he's from the Batak tribes in Indonesia, and all the Bataks, they all play guitar, and they all sing. Nothing special about that, but I hadn't yet shown any instrument. So he said, okay, I'm going to buy you a guitar. I was so excited. Oh, man, it's going to be great. Acoustic, electric guitars, maple top, it's going to ring out and all that. He buys me the cheapest guitar I can find in the store. Anyone ever have a dad that did that to you? Cheapest guitar he could find. He said to me, son, when you can learn to show me you can play this guitar, I'll buy you a better guitar. So what does Paul do? That next day I'm asking around, how do you play chords? I'll learn how to play G, C, D. Okay, I learned it. You know that song, Summer 69? Played it till my fingers bled. That's what I did. My fingers, you could see the blood inside them. I had blisters, and they told me, the Indonesians, tap your finger on the wood of the guitar. It'll harden it up, and it'll turn those blisters into calluses. Just keep doing it. My bones were so sore. You could see it was black and blue. It was bruised underneath the, in, underneath the blister. And I kept playing until I learned the chords. And I learned every chord you know, that I could in the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then you start again, A, B, C, D, F, G. And then I had to learn bar chords because I couldn't figure out how to do the ones in between. And I'm learning flats and sharps. Actually, the same thing, but depending on which way you go. I found that out too. And I'm learning. And finally, I showed my dad. And he was so proud of me. He went and bought me my guitar. God looks for faithful hearts. When he gives you a promise, he will keep it. But he's looking for your faithfulness. 
Someone needs to write this one down. The promises God gave you years ago are still waiting for you. Some of you have given up on your promise and thought, I'm too old now. Think about this. <laughs> if you ever think that, you're in trouble because God's going to come knocking on your door. Moses was 80 years old when God called him. Abraham was even older than that. He was 86. Right? Abraham is old. Isaac is old. By the time he has his kids, promises are fulfilled. God calls you in older ages as well. If you're old, just turn to the younger person next to you and say, See, God can still use me. We're constantly thinking this is a young man's game. If you young men, you hold on to this. You can fight us for it, but we're not going to give it up because we're going we're gonna to go for it. Let me at him. But the condition is this. God's promises are true and they will remain. But here's the thought. It's about the condition. God always places conditions. If you will follow all my laws and commandments, then I will do this. If you will do that, then I will do this. But we're constantly thinking about the promise. Oh, but you said you would give it to me. No, no. I said, if you will show me how you can play the guitar, that you can play this one well, then I will buy you another guitar. If you will wholeheartedly follow me, then I will give you the very territory that you are standing on. So here's a condition I want to challenge you with. Are you wholeheartedly following the Lord right now? You profess to be a Christian. You tell people, sometimes shyly, Christian. Mm -hmm. Are you really? Are you really a follower of Jesus? There's a reason why the church, the persecuted church in China grows. I mean, it is exploding in growth, and yet they're persecuted. They'll be thrown into prison. The leaders will be killed because they want to put an end to it, and still the church keeps growing and exploding, whereas in the Western church, in freedom, we don't grow like they do. Why? Because they know that if they choose to follow God, they, it is a death sentence. It actually is a death sentence. Jesus says, unless you take up your cross daily and follow me, die to yourself, you cannot be my disciple. And yet we're still thinking we can take along all our other stuff and we're going on a holiday. Where are we going today, Lord? You're going to the cross. Oh, that's so nice. Will there be coffee and tea there and crumpets? It's the cross. You're going to die on the cross. Yet we're still trying to hold on to all the good stuff. Oh, what my comfort. I want to retire well. I want to have plenty of money. I want to be comfortable. I'm going to buy that lazy boy that I couldn't afford. I'm going to buy the massage chair. You know that one, he goes 360, you go back, and it's, they say zero gravity, and it's, I'm going to buy one of those, and I retire, it's going to be so good. I'm so naughty. God's promise remained because Caleb remained wholeheartedly following after God. That means with his whole heart. You can't follow God with half-heart. That's called being half-hearted. It means they're not really with you. Parents, you ever had that? Your kids say, you know? Okay, will you promise to do this for me? Yeah, fine. Half-hearted. Wholehearted. Absolutely. I'm totally with you. I will do it. Oh, let me tell you, you're going to win a parent's heart. You know, it's amazing. We, we make so many excuses. 
We're masters at it in the church. We make brilliant excuses to the Lord. And you pastor, I don't know any better. I'm a human being. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But you know deep down inside you can't fool the Lord, yet we're still doing it. It's amazing how God, uh, sorry, preachers, we don't preach a lot about following the Lord. We, we preach about the other stuff. Faith, hope, love, the grace of Jesus. But we don't preach on following. Why is that? Have you ever considered what price you are paying for your compromise? Have you ever considered what was set aside as your reward? God is waiting to give it to you, and then he had to put it away because you were not wholehearted. What will be the consequence of your half-heartedness? I'm not talking about outright rebelling. You're saying, I love you, God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. No, I'm not going to read the Word. No, I'm not going to pray. No, I'm going to go do these things. No, 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 no. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes we come to church thinking we're doing God a favor. Sometimes we give to the Lord financially thinking, you're welcome. How many Christians have forfeited their faith because of compromise and half-heartedness? God himself commented on Caleb's devotion in Numbers 14, 24. He uses these words, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Caleb has a different spirit God is looking for a peculiar people. You're trying to look like everyone else on the world, in the planet, but you're not. You're peculiar. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're weird. Turn to the other person and say, neighbor, you're unique. So don't try and look like the rest of the world, but we constantly are. Can I go very quickly? Let me give you the other three points really quick. I'm so sorry. That's too much fun. Number three, live to fight another day. In verse 10, he says, now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. You're still alive because God has purpose for you. Don't you know that if you were done, he would take you away, but you're not done yet. I'm not done yet. I hope I'm still a cantankerous old man in my 90s. I ain't, I ain't through yet. Let me at him. I'm still going for it. I want to take my mountain down. Your giant might have kept you from your promise years ago. But it's a new season now. You've come full circle. And God's saying, I will not allow you to be in a fight that you can't win. So I've been preparing you this entire time in this new season so that when you go to battle, this time you win. This time you've got it. This time the victory is yours. Whew. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 4 says, Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. As long as I live and breathe, I can fight for my promises, and I will take it down. Listen to this story. In 1929, in the Rose Bowl, Georgia Tech was playing the University of California. And in that game, a man called Roy Rigels, one of the players, recovered a fumble. I think you guys know what a fumble is when you drop the ball. He picks it up, and he starts running, but the man was confused. And he's actually running 
for the other team. He's about to score a goal against his own, himself, their own field goal. And what happens is one of the other players, Benny Lom, has to outpace him and outrun him and tackle him as he's about to land the goal, a touchdown against their own goal. Imagine the shame. I mean, this is the Rose Bowl, the biggest game of the season. Everyone is looking on. They're listening on the radios. At the halftime break, they're all sitting there and they're wondering, oh, no, what's going to happen? Is he still going to be in the game? Is he going to be fired? Is he going to be traded? What's going to happen? What will Coach Nibs Price do? You know what he did? He was quiet. Normally, the coach waxes eloquent, you know, speeches, rah, rah, to get them going. He didn't do that. He just said this, men, the same team that played the first half will play the second half. And all, they all got up as one and began to walk out, except for Rigel's. And the coach went to him and said, why aren't you going with the rest of your team? And this big, muscular man, tears streaming down his eyes, he's saying, coach, I can't do it to save my life. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I can't face that crowd in the stadium to save my life. The coach reached out his hand and put it on Rigel's shoulder and said, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. Some of you are thinking it's all over. It's only half over. Let me go real quick. Number four, God will strengthen you for battle. That man may be 85 years old. He's saying, I still got it in me. I can still take down a giant or two. Give it to me. He wasn't asking for any old territory. He's literally asking for the territory of the giants. Some of you are settling for valleys. You're saying, I guess this is good enough. I guess this is my life. I'm here to tell you, no, no, no. Don't settle for anything less than what God has promised you. Fight for the promises. Fight for the good stuff because God says, it's yours. But how willing are you to fight for it? Here's a fact, by the way. Seniors who feel that their life has a purpose live longer than those who are going into retirement. If you're older, you need something else to keep you going. Come and build a church. Number five, reclaim your promise. Verse 12, he says, Now therefore, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. Do you remember the reason why they couldn't go into the land? Was because of giants. But now after 40 years, Caleb has realized, I've become even wiser in battle. I know tactics. I know strategies. I now have my sons. I've got my nephews. I've got my entire family trained for giant battle. And we're going to take down those giants. You think that he'd give up after 40 years? No, 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 no. He realized, I'm stronger now than I was then. Why don't we stand to our feet as we close this morning? Isn't it interesting that the name of Caleb in Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word, it actually means dog. But if you dig deeper into the origin of the name Caleb, it comes from the root word which means to yelp or to attack. His name means to attack. Think about a pit bull. When a pit bull, they're known for this, chomps down on their subject, on their victim, they will not let go for anything in the world. Can I encourage you right now as pit bulls in the Lord that you don't let go of your promise, that you hold on to these things. Some of you need to remind yourself, what were the promises that I had given up in the past thinking it's over? What are the things that God has spoken into my life? Bring it to the forefront and begin to bring it together in prayer. 